Hey, Hope City, it's great to be with you today, and we are concluding our series called Pursuit, and for the last few weeks, we've been talking about how we're pursuing Jesus together through worship, specifically with music, and this has been our word for the year, pursuit. We're pursuing Jesus through prayer, reading our Bibles, sacrifice, and for the last three weeks, it's all about music, and and we're, we're dissecting this phrase, this idea that Jesus is to be worshiped by all of us, all the time with all of our being. He is the target of our worship. All of us are to be worshipers. That answers the who, right? Who are we worshiping? Jesus. Who worships him? You do. All of us do, right? When do we worship Jesus? All the time. And how do we worship Jesus? Well, that was, that's with all of our being. And that's what we're gonna talk about today. And to illustrate that idea that we're not giving a part of our life or a part of our attention or part of our worship, but all of our being, I wanna illustrate it with something that happened this week. I went on a date with my wife. I got to go on a date night. Yeah, for date nights. Those are good. Good rhythm of connecting with your spouse or significant other, being able to emotionally and mentally and conversationally connect. You need that, right? We need date nights. And we had a rhythm of date nights, but then COVID hit and kind of threw that off its rhythm and everything off of its rhythm. Anyway, so this last Sunday, we got to go uh, on a date night. We were sitting there in the restaurant, and for social distancing purposes, the restaurant had built these wooden barriers on top of every booth. And so this barrier started at the top of the booth and went an additional three feet. So you're really enclosed in this space. And we're sitting there, we're talking, we've ordered our food, and man, I'm just enjoying this conversation with my wife, getting to you know, be with her, not be around our kids, they're with the sitter, this is great. And we're sitting there, and All of a sudden, I can see out of the corner of my eye the glimmer of a TV. And I just begin to look, and I know exactly what's on that TV because it's Sunday night at 5 o'clock, and it was Seahawks prime time against the Patriots. And I began to just lean out the booth. Oh, interception! And I came back. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah, that's really good. Yeah. And then we'd hit another lull in the conversation. You know what I'm talking about, where you just hit a pause. Oh, good tackle, good tackle. Oh, yeah. Yeah, oh man, so good, so good. Touchdown, oh yes, oh yeah, mm-hmm. Yeah, I'd like some more water, that's great. And, and what began to transpire is this very distracted date. Here I was thinking I was a good husband, giving up the Seahawks game to go on a date night, and in actuality, I hadn't really given it up. I was just right there in this distracted, like, oh, let me see what's going on type of thing. Maybe you can relate to that, those distracted dates. Maybe it's not with a TV right there in your, in your purview, but maybe it's, with your phone, you sit down, you order and everything, and then all of a sudden it's just like, scroll, scroll, scroll. Oh, hey, how you doing? Yeah, right? And you spend the whole date night on your phone. You're with them. You're there in body, but you're not there in heart. You're not there in mind. You're not there in spirit. You're just there in body. And you're not really connecting. There's no intimacy. There's no connection that's transpiring. And I wonder how much of us worship Jesus the same way. We worship him in body. We are there present. And we are physically like, we're singing the song. Whatever the lyric is on the screen, I'm singing the lyrics on the screen. I might even close my eyes. I might raise my hands. But in my mind, I'm thinking about other things. In my heart, I'm not really passionate about what's going on. In my spirit, it's definitely not connected or engaged in what's going on. Jesus isn't getting all of my worship. He's getting part of my worship. He's getting a part of me. And we are to be people who worship Jesus with all of our being, all of who we are. And we're going to look at this moment in Jesus' ministry where he has this conversation with a Samaritan woman at a well. 
In John chapter 4, you can open your Bibles and follow along there. In John chapter 4, he has this moment. He begins talking with her, and man, he just reads her email. Like, he figures it out, and, and she's just like, whoa, how'd you know that? And she's intrigued, and then the conversation shifts at one point, and it begins to go into this idea of worship, and what is real worship? And what we're going to see as Jesus talks to her is what it means to be all in on worship, that Jesus wants us to be worshipers who give everything. We worship him with all of our being. John chapter 4, verse 19 through 24. Let's follow along together. It says, Sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshiped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Jesus declared, believe me, woman, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming when we, and now has come, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in spirit and in truth. So Jesus is saying here that we're to be people who worship with everything that we are. And he uses this phrase, in spirit and in truth. That's a, that's a Christian word, man. I don't hear that anywhere else, that we do something in spirit and in truth. And would you just take a moment, you can... You can Ask those you're watching with or take some notes or if you're watching live at 10 a.m., just throw your ideas of what does that mean to worship in spirit and in truth? That's a big question, but I'd love for us to tackle it. And that's what we're going to break down is this phrase, what does it mean to worship in spirit and in truth? What does that mean to you? How would you define that or explain that to somebody that doesn't go to church and doesn't use those types of terms? As we look at it, I think what we'll see is that Jesus wants all of our being, all of us, to be invested in our worship in that way. And he starts with this phrase, in spirit, that we worship in spirit. You and I, we have a spirit. We aren't just bodies of matter and molecules and cells. We have a spirit. We have a soul. We have this intangible part of our nature, of our being. And then in verse 24, he says, God is spirit, meaning that God is not material. This is describing his nature. He is not limited to the physical. He is spirit. And so when we worship, Jesus is saying that your spirit and God's spirit, they make a connection. There's a spiritual connection that takes place, an intertwining, a linking, and it is an opportunity for us to engage with God, to connect with God. It's not just our bodies clapping and singing songs. It's a spiritual activity for our soul. And our human inclination when it comes to worship is to focus purely on the physical, to what our bodies do, to where we worship. Even think about that. Jesus says this phrase, we worship in spirit, and he's doing it in response to the woman's statement, where should I worship? In verse 20, she's talking about the Samaritans, and they worship on this mountain, this sacred space that Abraham went to and built an altar to God. You see it in Genesis 12, this sacred mountain. They built a temple, and that's where the Samaritans worshiped. And then you see They say, she says, but the Jews, they worship in the temple in Jerusalem. And that's where they go, the temple that was built by Solomon, David's son. And that's the sacred space for them to worship. She's wondering, where is the best place to worship? You're the smart guy, Jesus. You're the prophet. You're the wise man. Tell me, what's the best option? And I love his response. Verse 21, he says, you will worship the Father. 
neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. Why does he say that? You will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. Why? Because locations are temporary. They're just physical places. And God is not bound by physics. He's not bound by the physical and the tangible. But we get so locked in on it. And Jesus is saying, you see that temple over there? Yeah, it's going to be demolished. You see that temple over there in Jerusalem? Yeah, it's not always going to last. And guess what? Both temples eventually are destroyed. Because physical locations, as great and as sacred as they may be to us, are just temporary places. But God is not temporary. God is not physical. He is spirit. And we worship him in spirit. And so Jesus is actually correcting our propensity to link worship with the physical. We make this connection, and, and what happens is we get so locked in on these sacred spaces and that, man, this is where I worship God, and what happens is we then bound our, our, and we contain our worship to these specific locations. It can only be worshiped on this mountain. It can only be worshiped in this temple. It can only be worshiped in this church building. And then we make that connection and say, God is only in this mountain. God is only in this temple. God is only in this sanctuary. We contain God when we make it all about specific, tangible, physical locations like that. And so Jesus is correcting that. I think this year, the, the modern church in 2020 is learning this truth more than ever, that our worship is not bound or contained to a physical location. We've had to learn that worship exceeds and, and goes beyond the walls of our building. Worship doesn't stop. I mean, think about it in a, non or in a non-spiritual way, non-churchy way. Think about it when gyms closed, when Planet Fitness shut down for a period of time this year. Did exercise stop? Well, it did for some of us. For those of us that view exercise to only happen inside of a gym at Planet Fitness, it stopped when they said, you can't come in. It did. Believe me, it did for some of us. But then there were others that said, exercise is still really important to me, I'm going to go on a run outside. I'm going to go on a bike ride. I'm going to go find a friend who has some weights and lift some weights and do some curls. Why? Because exercise is not bound to Planet Fitness walls. Exercise can happen anywhere. And the same truth is evident, and that's what Jesus is trying to say. God is spirit. He is not material. He is not physical. And he is not bound by our locations and our physical side of things. He can be worshipped anywhere. Anywhere. Because God is spirit. To worship God in spirit is, is also to shift from thinking about physical locations to also our physical responses. Sometimes we so link our physical activity and, and, and responses during worship to, man, that's spiritual worship. I raised my hands. I was spiritual. I got on my knees. I was spiritual. We go through the motions of spiritual actions, and, and yet we're not really linked in involving our spirit. Jesus is correcting in, in this woman's conversation, he's correcting also the Jewish culture of that time that got so caught up in the physical routines, the physical, uh, the, the physical customs and rituals and ceremonies, and, and they, they pushed that and they, they did that and felt spiritual because they completed those things, but their heart, their spirit was absent. In Matthew 15, Jesus corrects them when he says they Honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are but rules taught by men. I think if we're not careful, we do the same thing. Our worship 
becomes all about our performance, our display, our show, looking and appearing to be spiritual. I know I'm guilty of that. I'm guilty of allowing a worship time to become so routine. It doesn't even need my spirit to be involved. I could just sing the songs off the screen. I could just sing and perform. Sometimes I'm performing for myself. And honestly, there's been times in my 35 years of worshiping, I've worshiped to display it to other people. And I think Jesus is correcting that. That when we worship in spirit, it's not about physical locations, but it's also not about our physical response. You ever find yourself singing without really meaning what you're singing? Yeah, he's a good, good father, but I'm just singing this song because it's up on the screen. Yeah, I'm going to raise my hands because the worship leader told me to raise my hands, but I don't really have a desire to reach out to my heavenly father and say, Daddy, pick me up. I'm on my knees because that appears to be very spiritual, but I don't have a heart of surrender right now. The exterior does not match the interior. And so we have these spiritual, physical shells. But something on the inside is not really at work. It would be like mowing your lawn without ever turning your mower on. Think about it as we illustrate this idea. Imagine taking your lawnmower out of the garage, moving it up and down your yard and going back and forth and doing the full pattern and then putting it right back in but never turning your mower off. Nothing really happened, but you went through the motions. You did your pattern that you normally would. You went around the edges and did all your things, but you never turned the mower on, so those blades never went around. The grass never got cut, but you feel good because you went outside and you walked around and you mowed the lawn. The same is true when we worship. To worship without the Spirit is like pushing that mower around our grass. To worship without the Spirit is just pushing praise out of us, but not really engaging in what we're feeling and making that spiritual connection with with our God. It's a huge disconnect that's taken place. So worshiping in Spirit is not about the appearance of being spiritual, but it's actually just this starting point of, this is a spiritual connection with my God. This is the starting point, and out of that is going to be a response that is physical, but it has to start by worshiping in spirit. Worshiping in spirit is going to break us of our propensity and our desire to get all locked up in the physical, the tangible, the, the, the material confines of empty worship, disingenuous worship. Start by worshiping in the spirit. The second aspect of true worshipers, though, is to worship in truth. It's worshiping in spirit and in truth. Meaning that I worship with my mind and my intellect and I'm aligning my thoughts with the truth of who God is. I'm aligning with the truth of what I'm singing. I'm aligning with the truth of how I feel in that moment. I'm worshiping in truth and truth in different ways. Let's expand on that for a moment. To worship in the truth is to worship in the truth of who Jesus is. Jesus is the truth. In John 14, 6, he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus is the truth, meaning that to worship in truth is to worship in Jesus, to make him the center of our worship, the object of our worship, the pivot point of our worship. He is everything, and I want a full picture of who Jesus is. I don't want to just see a sliver of who Jesus is, right? 
well, yeah, that's who Jesus is. No, I want all of who Jesus is. I want to see all the facets and depth and character of his teaching, of who he was in his ministry. And when he's talking to the Samaritan woman, she's only seeing a glimpse of who Jesus is. In fact, in verse 22, he corrects her and says, you worship what you do not know. You worship what you do not know. How many of us are worshiping a God we don't know? We don't see the full picture of the truth of who Jesus is. For the Samaritans, they only had a glimpse, a, a, a sliver of, uh, of the picture. They only had the Pentateuch, which is the first five books of the Old Testament. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Deuteronomy, and Numbers is in there. They had those, but they didn't have any of the other scriptures. The Jewish people had all these other scriptures. They had all the historical books. They had the story of, you know, Joshua and Judges and Ruth, and they had all the kings and second kings and Samuel and all of those things. They had the prophets and their writings. They had Psalms and Proverbs and all the poetry books. And you know what that did is it painted this picture of God at work with his people. And you had all this narrative that they were missing. And you know what else they were missing? The message of the Messiah. The message of the chosen one coming to save all of humanity. They missed that part because all they had was a sliver of it. And so when he says, you worship what you do not know, it is true. They were worshiping Yahweh as a God, but not the God. They were worshiping him as a God of many gods, a deity among deities. When he's standing right in front of her, the woman can't see that this is the Messiah because that's not on her radar. What does she refer to him? You must be a prophet. Man, you're a smart guy. You got some stuff figured out, don't you? She doesn't look at him and see him as the Messiah, the chosen one, the one to come and save all of humanity because she's looking and only seeing a fraction of who he really is. It reminds me of this scene out of a classic Seinfeld episode where Jerry buys his father a, an electronic organizer called a wizard. And he, he buys him this thing and he's telling his dad, you know, oh man, Pops, you, you know, there's all these features you can put in your calendar and your contacts and it's got a calculator and you can do all these things, all these different features, $200, I bought this thing for you, Pops, right? I got a smoking good deal and, and, and the dad, Morty, is, is looking at it and he's like, oh man, this is complicated. I don't know if I need all this. But once he says calculator, oh, I might be able to use that. And the whole episode, his dad, Morty, is really excited about this pocket organizer, this wizard, because it's a calculator. And he, he calls it his tip calculator. And Jerry is freaking out because he just bought his dad a $200 calculator at that point. All the features of what it could do, and Morty focuses it on one, it could be my tip calculator. And he doesn't see all the other things that it can do, all the other services and features and benefits that it can have for him. And the Samaritans were doing the same thing. They looked at God and only saw an aspect of it, a feature of him, and they didn't see all the other features, all the other ways that God was real, all the other good things about who God is. And I wonder if how many of us in the American church are seeing God through this microscopic little tiny lens. We're using microscopes instead of telescopes. We need to see a big picture of who Jesus really is, the facets of him, not just Jesus is my friend or Jesus is my, my savior, but man, Jesus is my healer. Jesus is my baptizer of the Holy Spirit. Jesus is my comforter. Jesus is my soon and coming king. Jesus is my everything. To worship in truth is to worship in all of that truth. And I think that's God's heart for us, is that we begin to better understand the magnitude of his identity and that truth. 
And what that does is it brings our worship to a greater depth because now we're, man, I'm not just worshiping Jesus as my homeboy, as my friend. I'm worshiping Jesus as my savior, my healer, my baptizer, my soon and coming king. He is my everything. And it's gonna change the way I worship because it's not just one little feature, one little facet. It is everything. Worshiping in truth. The last part of that truth is the idea that we worship in truth of how we feel. God doesn't want us to be fake. God doesn't want it to just be a head knowledge and I'm locked into my head and I'm overanalyzing every song. We need, to, we need to come with a truth of how we feel, a genuineness, a sincerity and authenticity. God desires us to be true in our worship. Psalm 51.6 says, Surely you desire truth in the inner parts. God wants us to be honest with him, not to be fake and put on a mask. So if I'm feeling anxious, I need to bring that into my worship. If I'm feeling regret or remorse, it's okay to bring that into my time of worship. If I'm really excited about life and celebrating what's going on in life, I can bring that into my worship. God wants us to be honest, to live in that sense of truth of this is where I'm at and this is what I'm feeling, this is what I'm going through. Engage that truth and it will then respond with physical actions that are genuine and true. You see, we start with the physical action and hope that it changes our heart. But if we start with our heart, if we worship in spirit and in truth of what's going on internally and inwardly, man, it's going to lead to an outward response. If I'm coming with a repentant heart, my posture is going to be emblematic of that. If I'm feeling a sense of stress and anxiety, I'm going to take a posture of surrender. If I'm coming with thankfulness and joy, then I'm going to resound with a volume and a dance and a movement that resembles that. It's not a facade. It's not fake. It's not hype. It's not just emotion. It's true to who I am and where I'm at in that moment. And I think it's important to see what Jesus is saying. God isn't asking for perfect worshipers. He's asking for true worshipers. We don't have to be perfect worshipers. He wants us to be true worshipers. And so the next time we go to engage music, the next time we go to worship, will we worship him with all of our being? I want to close with a, a quick illustration. I love the Seahawks. I love Pete Carroll and what he's done in creating a culture. And one of the things that he's, he's done is above the exits onto the field, whether it's the practice field or the game day field, they put this sign that says, I'm in. And these players, when they're exiting the tunnel, man, they got to they gotta smack that sign. I'm in. I'm in. I'm in. And all of them hit this sign to say, I'm in. And what they're doing is communicating to the teammates and the coaches, I'm all in. You're going to get my best. You're going to get my all. You're going to get my physical, emotional, mental. You're getting all of me on this field right here. And when they miss that, like a rookie doesn't slap that sign, somebody like a veteran of Bobby Wagner comes up to him and says, hey, Rook, you need to... You need to slap that sign. Are you in? You need to hit it. That's important for them because it's showing and signifying what's going on inside. I'm giving you everything that I have on this, on this playing field. And I wonder the next time we go to worship, we put headphones on to worship or we, we're worshiping in our car or we're, we're worshiping with other people, would you picture yourself passing that sign saying, Jesus, I'm in. You're getting everything. You're getting my heart, my soul, my mind, and my strength. I'm all in on this worship. Because you don't want my facades and just going through the motions. You don't want the physical locations. You don't want my whatever. You want all of me. So Jesus, I'm all in. 
I'm going to worship you with everything that I am. Let's pray. Jesus, I, I pray in this moment you would just continue to speak to our hearts that we would be people who worship you. People who worship you with an authenticity and a genuineness, but we would worship you, as your word says, in spirit and in truth. That our lives would overflow with praise and honor and worship and we would elevate you above anything else. Jesus, help us to be people who worship you more with everything that we are. May we not hold back or be timid or fearful or religious. I pray that we are just people who worship you all the time with all of who we are. We love you, Jesus. Thank you for loving us. In your name we pray, amen. For more information, check out thehubcitychurch.com. Thanks for listening.